Chapters thirty four through thirty six of Rose Mather, a tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty four. Poor Arthur. He had kept his word and piloted safely across the mountains the prisoner left in Hetty's cabin. His arrival at Paul Haverell's burning home had preceded that of the Federal troops by twenty minutes or more, and when he heard of Maud's danger he followed our soldiers up the hillside to where Maud held the entrance to the cave. He saw her and tried to make his voice heard, but it was lost amid the strife and noise of the conflict, and she only knew of his presence when Charlie, with chattering teeth and a face as white as ashes, clutched her dress frantically and said, "'Come, sister, come this way to Arthur. Somebody shot him.' do you think he will die quick as lightning the remembrance of the thought which had yet scarcely been a thought of just such a contingency as this flashed over maud sweeping away all the pain the terror the shrinking she had felt when she contemplated the fulfilment of her promise to arthur turnbridge he was lying there at her feet and the grass beneath him was all a pool of blood while his dim eyes showed that the objects around him were now but faintly discerned he saw maud though and when her loud cry met his ear he smiled a glad grateful smile and said to her as she knelt beside him and took his head in her lap you are sorry maud it was a mistake you did love me some she pressed her quivering lips to his and said again oh arthur arthur how came you here arthur knew he was dying but shaking off all thought of his own pain he explained to maud how he came there the man you remember i got him through and i am not sorry for he told me of a blind mother and six little children dependent upon him away off somewhere among the ohio hills think if they had been left without support i am glad i saved him even if it cost my life and still it is hard to die maud just as you are beginning to love me for you are and if i had lived you would have kept your promise to me yes arthur i would and maud's white fingers threaded the bloody hair and moved softly over the ghastly face who did it arthur she asked and arthur's face flushed to a purple hue as with a moan he said don't ask me there was a mistake i had taken no part in the fray except to knock down the ruffian who fired at you i was standing right behind him yes there was a mistake oh maud it was a mistake he kept repeating the words while maud tried to stop the blood flowing so freely from the wound in his temple the ball had entered there but had not penetrated to the brain and he retained his consciousness to the last smiling once kindly on charlie who half frantic bent over him and said yes arthur it was a mistake oh arthur oh maud and you two were engaged i did not know it before then a bright flush crept into maud's white face for she knew the tall shadow on the grass beside her belonged to captain carleton and he she guessed was thinking of last night in the cave he did think of it but only for a moment and then his thoughts were merged in his great anxiety for lieutenant arthur who he saw was dying arthur knew he was there and smiled when he asked if he felt much pain none with maud beside me she was to have been my wife weren't you maud yes arthur i was to have been your wife she spoke it openly frankly as if by doing so she was seeking to atone for an error and the eyes lifted to tom's face had in them something defiant as if she would say i mean it i would have been his wife but she met only pity in tom's looks 
pity for her and pity for the young man dying among the mountains on that soft summer morning when the whole world seemed so at variance with a death like that it was a strange scene and one which those who witnessed it never could forget the broad level plat on the mountain-side the mounted horsemen the group of prisoners the beautiful queenly girl whose lap pillowed the head of the dying soldier while her brilliant eyes wept floods of tears which with quick nervous movements of her fingers she swept away beside her was charlie his face whiter than that of the dying man and his muscles working painfully as if he was forcing back some terrible pang or cry of agony tom carleton too and paul haverill who had later joined the group and stood looking sadly on while toward the south the smoke and flame of his own house was ascending and in the east the early morning was bright and fresh with the summer's golden sunshine and there on the mountain-side they waited and watched while the young lieutenant talked faintly of his distant home where the news would carry so much sorrow tell father i died believing in our cause and were i to live my life over i should join the southern army but it's wrong about the prisoners we ought not to abuse those who fall into our hands i've loved you maud for so long remember me when i am gone not for anything brilliant there was about me but because i loved you so well and died in carrying out the work you gave me to do oh arthur arthur speak some word of comfort to me or i shall surely die it was a mistake charlie whispered as he crept close to arthur's side the dying man's eyes rested inquiringly for a moment in charlie's face then lighted up with a sudden joy charlie charlie come close he whispered bend your ear to my lips maud must not hear me his head was still lying on maud's lap but he spoke so low to charlie that she did not hear the question asked she only knew that charlie started quickly and throwing one arm across her neck as if to save her from some evil said promptly energetically no no arthur no then the quivering lips went down again to arthur's ear and maud caught the word mistake and that was all she did not know or think what it really meant it was all a mistake the terrible war which had brought her so much pain and suffering i die easier now it was so horrible before poor charlie don't let it trouble you care for maud she would have been my wife stick to our cause you never forsook it came faintly from arthur and his eyes when again they rested on maud's face had lost the strange frightened look which she had observed when she first came to his side he was dying very fast and his mind seemed groping for some form of prayer with which to meet the last great foe pray somebody he moaned and paul haverill who wholly overcome with all he had passed through during the last few hours had stood dumb and motionless replied in a choking voice i am not a praying man but god be with you my boy and land you safely on t'other side where there's no more fighting yes but that isn't our father i used to say it at home came feebly from the white lips and then tom carleton knelt beside the youth whose path had crossed his so often and so strangely and with deep reverence and earnest entreaty commended the departing spirit to the god who deals more gently and mercifully and lovingly with his children than they dealt with each other tom thought of isaac sims and the noisome filthy room in libby where he had first learned to pray 
and the thought gave fervour to his prayer to which arthur listened intently his lips motioning the amen he could not speak for he had no power of utterance once again they moved with a pleading kind of motion and maud stooped over to kiss them her long hair falling across the pallid brow where the blood-stains were and when she lifted her head up and pushed back her heavy locks there was the seal of death on arthur's face thirty five the dead and the living of all paul haverhill's comfortable buildings house stables barn and negro quarters there was left him only one cabin which the fire had not consumed that stood a little distant from the rest and had been occupied by lois before her husband died it was superior to the other cabins then it was neat and tidy now and where they laid the dead lieutenant in his grey uniform with a little flag of stars and bars across his breast this was charlie's thought and it was very meet that he to the last had believed in the righteousness of the confederacy should have her sign above him there was no other spot except the cabin where maud could stay and the entire day and night she sat by her dead arthur whom now that he was dead she cherished in her heart as a martyr and a hero questioning even the ground on which she had hitherto stood so firmly and asking herself if after all the south was so very far out of the way or if the union were worth the fearful price the southern people were paying for it maud did not know herself in this mood it was so unlike all her former theories and more than once she pressed her hot hands to her still hotter head and asked if she was going mad crouched beside maud with his blue eyes fixed upon her with a pitying remorseful look was charlie poor maud poor sister i am so sorry i never thought i did not know you used to laugh about him so to uncle paul i'd give my life to bring him back for you did you love him so very much charlie said in broken sentences and then maud shivered from head to foot but made him no reply she had not loved him so very much but his violent death and all the horrors attending it had shaken her terribly and could he have come back to life she would have tried to love him and with her iron will would have crushed that other love the very knowledge of which had made her heart throb with so much joy but the dead come not to life again and the next morning they buried arthur turnbridge in the grassy enclosure where paul haverhill's wife was sleeping with the infant son who had he lived would have been just arthur's age the blue-coated soldiery who had been his deadly foes paid him every military honour possible within their means even marching to his grave behind the stars and bars which lay upon his coffin but when they came back from the burial they bore the national flag whose folds that peaceful summer night floated in the breeze from the top of lois's cabin very kind and gentle and pitiful was tom's demeanour toward maud during the day and the night when she had sat by arthur in lois's cabin he had not been near her but after all was over he went to her and with the authority of a friend and brother insisted that she should take the rest she needed so much and maud gave way at the sound of his soothing quieting voice and with a flood of tears did what he bade her do and then tom sat by her and bathed her throbbing head and smoothed her beautiful hair and paid back in part the services she had rendered him when he lay sick in squire turnbridge's house maud was not ill only exhausted both physically and mentally the exhaustion showing itself in the quiet listless state into which she lapsed paying but little attention to what was passing around her and offering no suggestion or remonstrance when told of her uncle's plan to accompany captain sims and his men to knoxville over paul haverhill too a change had passed the attack upon him by his old friends and neighbours though long expected had been sudden and terrible when it came 
and as he watched the burning of the house which had been his so long he felt that every tie which bound him to the old place was severed then came swiftly the fearful tragedy of the mountains when arthur was brought to him dead stunned and bewildered by the startling events which had followed each other so rapidly paul was hardly able to counsel for himself and assented readily to the plan which had really originated with captain carleton who had another scheme underlying that but who suggested both so skilfully that paul haverhill fancied they were his own ideas and gave them as such to maud they would go to knoxville with the soldiers he said thence to nashville they had some relatives living there and after resting for a little they would continue their journeyings north going perhaps as far as new york i always wanted to travel north he said but my affairs kept me at home now i have no affairs my neighbors have relieved me of such commodities and i want to get away from a spot where i have witnessed such dreadful things we all need change you maud more than i and charlie more than either i don't know what has come over the boy that horrible night and morning were too much for him maud knew that so far as charlie was concerned her uncle had spoken truly charlie was greatly changed and his eyes had in them a scared look as if every detail of the horrors of the fight on the mountain had stamped itself indelibly upon his mind and was never for an instant forgotten he needed a change of place and scene and as she could not return to arthur's desolate home whither the sad news had been sent at once maud assented to the nashville arrangement and in three weeks was comfortably settled at a nashville hotel with lois as her attendant her uncle charlie and captain carleton were with her the latter constantly putting off his journey to rockland where they were so anxiously waiting for him he had written to rose immediately after his arrival at nashville telling her of all that had transpired and speaking of maud devere as one whom he hoped to make his wife this time the letter went safely and rose replied at once urging tom to come home and insisting that mr haverhill maud and charlie should accompany him they saved will's life as well as yours rose wrote i have a right to them all and especially to the noble maud bring her to me tom and let me coax back the colour to her dear face and the brightness to her eyes i shall come myself and get her if she refuses maud had never known the companionship of a sister had never had a single intimate girlfriend except nettie turnbridge who died independent strong-willed and self-reliant she had cared but little for any society except that which she found with nature in the wild mountains of tennessee but now broken and shocked and shorn of some of her strength she longed for sympathy and companionship and something in rose mather's sprightly letter made her heart yearn toward the little lady who had written it and the pleasant home which rose described as beautiful with the summer bloom i will think about it by and by she said to her uncle but for the present it is nice to rest here in nashville so for a time longer they lingered in tennessee while rose waited impatiently for them and fretted at the delay thirty four andersonville prisoners this seems to be one of the worst cases we have had i doubt if his mind will survive the horrors he has endured even if his body does poor fellow his mother would not recognize him now this was what the physician at annapolis said to mrs sims of a miserable emaciated skeleton which had come up from andersonville with the last arrival of prisoners while we in the mountains of tennessee were tracing the wanderings of will mather and captain carleton mrs sims and annie had stood untiringly at their posts beside the sick and dying soldiers who had learned to bless and watch for the stern widow and to love and worship the beautiful annie graham 
and well had she earned such appreciation for she had been most faithful to the wretched ones committed to her care faithful both to body and soul and in the better world she knew there was waiting to welcome her more than one whose darkened mind she had led to the fountain of all light and annie had made a vow to stay till from that foul southern prison where twenty-eight thousand men had died there came to her the one for whom she always looked so anxiously when new arrivals came her blue eyes running rapidly over each wasted form and then filling with tears when their scrutiny was found to be in vain james carleton had never been heard from since that letter sent to her so long ago and hope had died out of annie's heart when at last with widow sims she stood by the cot where lay the insensible form of which the physician had spoken so discouragingly it was the figure of a young man who must once have been finely formed with a handsome face and hair and eyes the latter were closed now and only the lids moved with a convulsive motion as annie bent over him the dark hair matted and coarse and filthy had curled in rings about the bony forehead but had been cut away when the bath was given and the closely shorn head was like many other heads which annie graham's hands had touched gently tenderly as they now moved over this one trying to infuse some life into the breathing skeleton he was to be her charge he was in her division and mrs sim's keen grey eyes scanned annie curiously as she bent over the poor fellow he was helpless as an infant and annie nursed him much as she would have nursed a baby whose life hung on a thread he had been there four days and only a faint moaning sound had given token of life or consciousness but at the close of the fourth day as annie sat chafing the pulseless fingers where the grey skin hung so loosely the eyes opened for a moment and were fixed upon her face there was no consciousness in them no recognition of her presence nothing but the strained hungry despairing look annie had seen in the eyes of so many of our prisoners and which to a greater or less degree was peculiar to them all annie saw this look and then underneath it all she saw something more what it was she could not tell but it brought back to her those moonlight nights upon the beach at new london and that other night of more recent date when she sat with jimmy carleton beneath the rockland sky and heard his passionate words of love and saw his soft black eyes kindle with earnestness and then grow sad and sorrowful with disappointment there was no kindling in them now no ardent passion or heat of love but a certain softness and brightness and even sauciness lingered still and told annie at last who it was oh merciful father it is jimmy she said and unmindful of any who might be looking on she bent down and kissed the sunken cheeks from which the flesh was gone she had expected him so long and grown so weary and hopeless with expectations unfulfilled that she could scarcely believe it now or realize that the half-dead wretch before her was once the lively humorous teasing jimmy carleton how she pitied him and how her heart throbbed as she thought of the suffering he must have endured ere he reached this state of apparent imbecility then as she remembered what the physician said about his mind she dropped upon her knees and clasping her hands over her face prayed earnestly that god would remove the darkness and wholly restore the man whom she loved so dearly do you think he will die she asked mrs sims who had come for a moment to her side you know him then i was wondering that an old woman like me should see clearer than you i mistrusted from the first mrs sims answered and then to annie's eager question she replied it will be almost a miracle if we do get any sense into that brain or flesh upon these bones but we'll do the best we can 
her words were not very encouraging and annie's tears fell like rain upon the face of the man who gave no sign that he knew where he was or who was bending over him oh how he had longed for the air of the north as his face daily grew thinner greyer and more corpse-like while his flesh seemed shrivelling and drying on his bones bill baker had done what he could to ameliorate his condition done too much in fact and as the result he suddenly found himself shorn of his privileges and an inmate again of that dreadful prison even then he clung to and cared for jimmy until the pangs of starvation and the pains of sickness made him forgetful of all but himself and there they pined and wept and waited until the day of their release when bill was too ill to be removed and was left in charge of a humane family who kindly promised to care for him until he was better from a rockland soldier who had been taken prisoner at the battle of the wilderness jimmy had heard that mrs graham was at annapolis and then oh how he longed for the time when it might be his fate to be tended and nursed by her she would do it so gently and so kindly and in his dreams the walls of his pestilential prison stretched away to the green fields of the north where he walked again with annie and felt the clasp of her little hand and the light of her blue eyes she was always present with him she or the little lulu of pequot memory somehow these two were strangely mixed and when his mind began to totter as the physical strain on it became too great the two faces were united in one body and both bent lovingly over him just as annie graham was doing now when he was past knowing or caring who ministered to him a vague suspicion he had at intervals that in some respects there was a change that his bed was not the filthy sandbank nor his covering the pitiless sky gradually too there came a different look upon his face the colour was changing from the dingy grey to a more lifelike hue flesh was showing a little beneath the skin and the dark hair began to grow and annie watered the tiny curls with bitter tears for as proof of the terrible life whose horrors will never half be written the once black hair was coming out streaked with grey they knew in rockland that he was at annapolis but annie had peremptorily forbidden either mrs carleton or rose to come they could do no good she wrote jimmy would not know them and they might be in the way they were constantly expecting tom from tennessee with maud devere and her friends and so they remained at home the more willingly enjoining it upon annie to write them every day just a line to tell how jimmy was the summer rain was falling softly upon the streets of annapolis and the cool evening air came stealing into the room where annie graham sat by her patient there were not so many now in her ward and she had more time for jimmy by whose bedside every leisure moment was passed she was sitting by him now watching him as he slept and listening breathlessly to his low murmurings as he seemed to be talking of her and the dreadful prison life then he slept more soundly and she arranged the light so that it left his face in shadow but fell full upon her own half an hour passed in this way and annie's head was beginning to droop from languor and drowsiness when a sudden exclamation startled her and she looked up to see her patient's eyes fixed upon her while with his finger he pointed to the window opposite and whispered the star is risen again when i thought it had set for ever i take it as a good omen bill i shall see her face again did he think himself in prison still with that star shining over him and did he take her for bill baker the thought was not a very complimentary one but annie forgot everything in her joy at this evidence of returning reason jimmy she said softly and she bent her face so close to his that her lips touched his forehead jimmy don't you know that you are in annapolis with me with annie graham 
you remember annie she had many a time said these very words in his ear hoping somehow to impress them upon him and now she had succeeded for he repeated them after her slowly and with long pauses like a schoolboy trying to say a half-learned lesson jimmy don't you know that you are here in annapolis with me with annie graham you remember annie and as he said them consciousness began to struggle back the black eyes fastened themselves upon annie with a wistful look then they took in her dress her hands folded in her lap the decent covering on the bed the furniture of the room and then throwing up his arms he felt of his flesh and examined his linen and patted the pillow while still the look of wonder and perplexity deepened on his face suddenly he let his arms drop helplessly then stretched them feebly towards annie and while both chin and lip quivered touchingly and the tears streamed from his eyes he whispered clean face clean hands soft pillow and bed with the hunger and thirst and homesickness gone this is yes this must be god's land and she is there with me he fainted then the shock of coming back to god's land had been too great and for a week or more he paid but little heed to what was passing around him don't you know me jimmy it's i it's annie mrs graham would say to him as his restless eyes turned upon her and he would repeat after her don't you know me jimmy it's i it's annie this was a peculiarity of his and it continued until bill baker who had become strong enough to be moved came to annapolis and asked to see the corporal at first the physician refused but annie approved the plan hoping for a good result and she waited anxiously while bill said cheerily hello old corporal rather nice quarters here than that sandbank down by that infernal nasty stream bill baker's voice was the last which in the far-off prison had sounded kindly in jimmy's ears and now as he heard it again his face lighted up and his eyes kindled with something like their olden fire you know me corporal i'm bill we've been exchanged we're up to annapolis and miss graham is nussin you bill continued and then jimmy drew a long breath and burst into a passionate fit of tears they'll do him good they allus did to andersonville he'd hold in till he was fit to burst and then he'd let him slide and feel better he'll know you miss graham after this annie was called away just then to attend to another patient and bill was left alone with jimmy there were a few broken sentences from the latter and then bill baker was heard talking rapidly but very gently and cautiously and jimmy lifted his head once and looked across the room where annie was better leave him alone a spell till he thinks it out and gets it arranged bill said to annie i made him understand where he was and that you was here and all right on the main question and though he'd like to have bust his biler for a minute he'll come all straight i reckon it was more than an hour before annie went to jimmy again but when she did the eager joyful look in his eyes told her that she was recognized don't speak to me don't talk she said laying one hand lightly upon the lips which began to move while with the other she smoothed the short curls of hair he kissed the hand upon his lips and whispered through the fingers tell me first was it true he told me do you he did not finish the sentence for annie understood him 
and bending so near to him that no one else could hear she said yes jimmy i do he seemed satisfied and something of his old manner came back to him when later in the day annie tried to straighten the clothes about him and wet and brushed his hair look like a hippopotamus don't i he asked touching his thick-skinned face not half as much as you did annie replied and the first smile her face had worn for weeks glimmered around her lips for she knew now the danger was past and jimmy carleton would live End of chapters thirty four through thirty six